Come on, Kalos. It's so good to be with you guys. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Danny. My wife and I and our three kids, we planted a church over in Spokane on the east side of the state just a little over four years ago, and we've got to know your pastors. I got to comment on this video for a second. Don't y'all love it how husbands always say we had a baby? Like, honestly, we know that's not true. You should totally give Pradeep a hard time about that one. Uh, but but the, the truck story is absolutely true. I wanted to tell you that story. Uh, I met Pradeepan and Amritha at a pastor's gathering, which is, uh, it, they gathered all the pastors that are a part of this ARC network that both your church and our church is a part of, planting churches all across the country. <coughs> Excuse me, can I have a drink of that water that you got? It'll go better this way. So we met at this pastor's gathering for ARC churches, and I just fell in love with them. Uh, I, like most of you guys have that come, and you're a part of Kalos normally. They're just the sweetest, most amazing, authentic couple. We had lunch and got to spend some time with them. It was awesome. And I uh, found that I walked actually through this club with them when they were just thinking about, could we actually do a church here someday? And I was like, man, you can do it. Here's where you could set up kids. And we kind of strategized through the room. And... Um, you know, we went back to Spokane and didn't really hear from each other for a while. And then one day Pradeepan calls me. He's like, man, we need a truck. And you guys, you know, you, you were, uh, do you have any resources? And we had this truck that we were no longer using. It's a huge 28-foot box truck. And it was actually on Craigslist at that time for thousands and thousands of dollars that I felt like our church needed. And um, so I was like, yeah, we're selling this truck. And listen, I'll give you a deal, man. We bought it for this many thousands, and I'll sell it to you for the same price. No worries. He's like, that sounds good. So um, he actually sent us a check in the mail, and uh, I deposited it, and I was like, okay, well, we're helping church planters, you know, gave them the price. We didn't make any money off it, just passed along the blessing that we got on it and everything. And, uh, and I went down to another pastor's gathering in California, and I heard your pastor Pradeepan speak. And while he's speaking and preaching, I felt so convicted that we didn't just sow into your church plant and give him the truck. I was just like, oh, man, I should have just given that as an offering, like, I think I really missed this opportunity to sow some seed. Oh, well, I guess it's gone. It'd be awkward to try to, like, deal with it now. And, uh, and then I get back home, and the check had been returned from the bank. Like, have you ever received an NSF check, non-sufficient funds? It wasn't like that. Like, you guys had sufficient money in the bank, but were, for whatever reason, like, the check came back, and the notation on the check was this, return to maker. And I just thought, like, this is a sign from God. I'm supposed to give this money. <laughs> and so I called Pradeepan on the phone, and I just said, like, hey, man, I'm shredding this check. The money won't come out of the bank account. Yours, truck, you guys take it. Kalos is going to be blessed. It's going to be amazing. So God wanted you to have it. it. I was a little slow in obeying him. But, uh, like, Church planting is amazing, and I hope you understand it. You're, you're a part of a church startup, a little bit 18 months old here at Kalos, uh, but God has incredible things in store in the days ahead. My wife and I are a part of the same crazy tribe that you guys are a part of, starting churches from scratch, from nothing. I remember uh, we, moved, we moved from the Boise area up to Spokane. We had never really been to Spokane, maybe visited one time, didn't know anything about it, didn't have any relationships really similar to your pastors, kind of came out to Bellevue, not knowing anybody out here. Uh, similar journey for us. I remember I was talking to one of my father's friends. We were in the stage of church planting where you're trying to connect with some people that 
are affluent and would have some money to, to give to the startup. And this guy was a lawyer and really had been a part of traditional churches and wasn't really familiar with the idea of church planting. And I sat down with him and was trying to tell him the story. And he goes, so wait, let me get this straight. You're going to move to a city that you don't know anyone and you have no relationships and you're going to quit your job and sell your house and what you're going to do when you get there is have like barbecues and parties until a church comes out of it. And I was like, yes, exactly right. It's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And that's, that's what we did. And, uh, and amazingly, God did amazing things. People always ask me as a church planter, like, how's it going? And I'm sure if you have been a part of the launch team or a part of the serving team here at Kalos, people are asking that question, well, how's it going? How's the church doing? And when I think about the answer to that question, here's the only word that I could really come up with to use is it's the word blessed. Like we've been so blessed in our journey, and it's really the word that I want to come and speak over your church today. Uh, just as a, a friend from the other side of the state, but somebody who's with you in the journey, God wants to put a blessing on your church. And uh, I believe you already have that blessing and that you're walking in it, right? Uh, but for me, the word bless was a, not something that I grew up saying a lot. I kind of have an interesting relationship with that word. Like I can remember growing up early in my Christianity, I grew up as a part of a mainline church that did like nativity Christmas plays every single year. Did you ever watch those plays growing up in church at all, if you grew up in church, right? And uh, the word blessed was something that the old grandmas of my church said when something bad happened in church, you know? Like maybe little Mary drops the baby Jesus or whatever, and she goes, oh, bless her heart, you know? Like, it's really like, it's a word that means like something terrible happened. Or And then I, I got a little bit older, and I remember I got a, a part of churches that were all about faith and you know, I'd ask somebody, like, How, how's it going today? And they would say, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I remember thinking, like, I'm good. I'm fine. You're blessed. I don't know. And then we got, we got into the social media era, and all of a sudden, blessed became a hashtag. You know, hashtag blessed, right? Someone takes a picture of Woman Crush Wednesday, hashtag blessed. Picture of my bicep, hashtag blessed. Picture of avocado toast, hashtag blessed. You know, like... Whatever it is, right? So it's kind of a word that's gotten thrown around in all kinds of contexts. I think it's lost a little bit of its meaning. Uh, but when I think about our church plant and when I think about Kalos, I want you to embrace this idea because it's biblical. You were blessed. God's blessed your church. God blessed our church. And when I, when I sought counsel about what it would be like to quit our job and sell our house and move to a city that I had no idea what was going to happen... I remember so many people were so worried about us. They were like, church planting is so hard. It's going to be terrible. You're going to be poor. You're not going to have any friends. Your wife is probably going to hate you. Your kids are going to wander away, and you're just going to starve. I actually had one church planter tell us, when you go to plant your church, make sure you have lots of sex all of the time because it's the only good thing that's going to happen to you in that season. For real. Like, I was just like, I mean, I'll take your advice. That's okay. We can, we can do that. But, but, but I, I felt like somebody here today, it's okay to talk about sex in church, right? I got an, I got an amen in the second row. We stroller right next to you, dog, you know, application. <laughs> Listen, in four years, 
of being a church planner, we've just seen hundreds and hundreds of people to come to know Jesus. We started in an atmosphere. We weren't in a club, but we were in an event center like this, set up and tear down. It felt like so similar to what you guys are in right now. And then we moved to a high school, and the Lord continued to bless us. And then along the journey, the Lord provided for us this amazing facility that we have as a church. We've got our own place. And guess what? I still love the Lord. I still love my wife. My, life, my wife loves Jesus. My kids love Jesus. All of the team that went with us, they're still with us. They're serving God. We love each other, and it's been so good, right? Not every church plant story has to have all, all this tragedy and difficulty. And although we've gone through seasons of pain and difficulty, much like you have in Kalo's church, I can stand up here on the stage and say God has blessed our journey, and God wants to bless your journey. He wants to work on your behalf in amazing ways. And the only way I know how to describe it and say it and what to attribute it to is the blessing of God. God has incredible blessing for you in the days ahead. But here's, here's really the key to that. You've got to get blessable and then you have to stay blessable. Because no amount of intelligence, no amount of hard work, no amount of resources or luck or strategy or perfect principles are going to attract the blessing of God on your life. It can't compensate for not having it. I always gather my lead team together and tell them, okay, listen, guys, we have the blessing of God on our church. Now don't screw it up. Like, whatever we got to do, we got to keep this thing with us. And actually, if you, you go back and you... You explore the teaching of Jesus. One of Jesus' most famous sermons that he ever gave in the Gospels was around this idea of blessing. It's this famous sermon called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And he walks through a whole bunch of conditions for blessing. And today I just want to focus on one of the conditions that Jesus taught us to walk in. And maybe it would spur on in you a little bit of a hunger, a curiosity, and you could go walk through Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and, and learn about all of, all of that you need to walk in in order to attract and walk in the blessing of God. But I just want to start with this one verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and this is what Jesus taught us about being blessed. This is what he said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. Now, righteousness is kind of a religious-sounding, churchy word, but it simply means that things are good between you and God. You've got right standing with God. And when you pursue that honest relationship with God, Jesus promised that your whole life will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied that that Greek word means there. You ever eaten like your fill of food to the point where you're satisfied? You guys have some of the best Asian food in the whole country here in Bellevue. My goodness, it's so good. I love to come and visit and just get great Thai and great sushi. And there's just a moment where you've eaten enough and you're satisfied, you're full. That's what Jesus said would happen to your spiritual life if you hunger and thirst for God. And so many people are getting filled up in their life 
with things that don't actually matter and things that don't actually satisfy. They're searching for that fulfillment and they're trying to bring things into their life that'll bring it, but it's not filling them up. There's no peace, there's no satisfaction, there's no hope. Uh, but we, we don't want to fill our lives up with things that don't matter and don't make a difference, right? So we have to, we have to ask this question of ourselves: what do I hunger for the most? Jesus said, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, then I'm going to be filled. And so am I actually hungry for righteousness? Am I hungry for my honest, good, solid relationship with the Lord? Am I hungry to please God? Am I hungry to be close to God? If I ask my, my children, what is dad actually hungry for, what would they say? If I ask my roommate, am I more hungry for Netflix or am I more hungry for God? What would my roommate say about me? Hello, somebody. Right? Over the last seven days, if you were to take a video recorder of your life and then play it for somebody else and they, they looked at it, what, what would they say you are pursuing the most? Are you pursuing time to relax? Are you pursuing a career objective? Are you pursuing just living for the weekend, get through the work week so I can just do whatever I want on the weekend? Would they say that you're pursuing popularity? Would they say that you're pursuing, you know, the win, like more money, the bigger house, my elementary student gets student of the year at their elementary school, my, my elementary student beats up the student of the year at the elementary school, my middle schooler makes the traveling water polo team, like whatever the win for you would be, like is that what you're pursuing? And I think it's easy sometimes to look at our life and then realize, I don't know if I'm actually hungry for God the way that I'm hungry for other things in life, right? Come on, we all get to that point every once in a while where it's like, okay, like I'm kind of pursuing some other things. And what, what do we do when that happens? What should we do when we realize maybe I'm pursuing something, I'm a little hungry for something other than Jesus being first? And what we do is we have to change our appetites. We have to change our appetites, right? How many of you guys love pizza? Any pizza lovers on this side of the state? I love pizza, man. I love all kinds of pizza. I love like artisan, incredible ingredients, expensive pizza, but I like cheap pizza too. I like pizza pizza. I like Papa John's pizza with that side of butter garlic goodness that's just designed for the crust, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my goodness, I love pizza. At some point in my life, I realized that pizza was not as good for me as I was desiring it, right? I was so hungry for pizza, but the truth is I, I started to realize that it was killing me as I was eating it. And uh, so I went on this journey a little bit with a health journey. I've lost a little bit of weight over the last couple years, and uh, you might be looking at me going like, really? That guy's still a little bit chunky. Don't judge me. I'm repenting. <laughs> and I still like pizza, but even though I, now I eat pizza, and it's like there's this mentality, like inside I know the pizza's killing me at the same time I'm eating it. And if, if if you start to pursue God and you start to seek God, what happens is your appetite starts to change over time. Like what happened to me is I started to eat less and less pizza and more and more like kale and salad and clean proteins and meats and stuff. But before I knew it, I actually developed less and less appetite for pizza and more and more appetite for clean eating. It was incredible to me because I used to think that kale tasted like the most nasty thing on the planet. Can I get an amen from anybody? Like that, yeah, 
I don't know. Yes. <laughs> She's like, boo. But like over time, I developed this, this taste for it. And the same thing can happen in your spiritual life. Like at, at some point, you can make a turn and you can start to develop an appetite for the things of God. When Jesus said, we can hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you realize in your own life, I'm spending more time pursuing other things with then Jesus, I can shift my appetite and I can long for things differently. I can shift my appetite and I can hunger and I can thirst after God. I love what Psalms chapter 42 says. It says, as the deer pants for living or for the flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Like your soul can long for God. So let's answer this question. How do we hunger and thirst for God? If we want to be blessed, if we want to walk in the blessing of God, we've got to hunger and thirst after relationship with him. How do we do that? Let's start with just answering what doesn't work. Here's what doesn't work when it comes to hunger and thirsting for God. And maybe you guys have experienced one of these two extremes. Number one thing that doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. Legalistic Christianity. That's the kind of Christianity that's just full of do's and don'ts. It's all rules. It's no relationship. Here's what I can do. Here's what I cannot do, right? And legalistic Christianity only leads to guilt and shame and exhaustion and burnout. Can I get a witness? Has anyone ever been down that road? Like, you're just trying to do so good for God, but you're never good enough, and it just becomes so exhausting. It's like, man, like, can't this Bible just be a little shorter? Just, like, tired. Like, is there an app I can get on my phone that can automate prayer? Because I'm just so exhausted. Like, can, can there be 10 days between Sundays? Because I just don't know if I can make it another time. Like, you, you will burn out if you try to live this checklist of what God does and does not want you to do all the time. Like if it's not based in this relationship with Jesus and you're trying to obey a set of rules, this legalistic Christianity, it will not work. And if you've never been down that road, let me save you the headache and the pain. Legalistic Christianity does not work. But on the other side, here's what also doesn't work is lukewarm Christianity. On one side, we got legalistic Christianity. On the other side, we have lukewarm Christianity, which that's the kind of Christianity where we say, oh, no, we believe in Jesus, but then we don't live like it at all. We're Christian in name only, but there's no passion flowing out of our lives that glorifies and honors God. Now, listen, God doesn't like legalistic Christianity, but God doesn't like lukewarm Christianity either, right? In fact, if you look in the book of Revelations, that's the kind of Christianity that says that he desires to spit it out of his mouth, right? And so you might be sitting here this morning thinking, like, well, how do I know if that's me? Like, am I on the legalistic side or am I on the lukewarm side? Like, and I think you're asking the question, right? There's an indication that your heart's probably in the right place. God, I want to be close to you. And you know if you're in the lukewarm Christianity, if there's just no evidence of a relationship with him. Like, if you can't Remember the last time that you really discussed scripture with anybody around you? Can't remember the last time that, you know, you really shared your faith or talked to anybody about Jesus? Can't remember the last time there was really a meaningful prayer time or that you left an environment that was unhealthy for you spiritually because you have a conviction and you didn't want to participate in that? Like, if there's never been anything like that, you might be experiencing some lukewarm Christianity in your life. 
there hasn't been a time in recent memory where you've been stirred to radical generosity. And it's like, man, Jesus, I love you, and I love my church, and I'm going to gather my family together. And listen, we're so blessed to be a part of this church. We're going to write a big check, and it makes me nervous a little bit, but we're going to give in faith because God has blessed us so much. Like, if you've never experienced anything like that, anything that feels sacrificial, you might be on the side of lukewarm Christianity. And I would just tell you, neither of those ways of life, neither of those roads of faith work at all. We're, we don't want to be legalistic. We also don't want to be lukewarm. So let's answer the question. What does work? How do I hunger and thirst for God to the place where I'm filled with satisfaction? Here's what it looks like. It's called Christ-centered Christianity. Can I get an amen? amen. Christ-centered Christianity. It's way different than legalistic. It's way different than this cultural Christianity. This isn't about calling yourself a Christian because your mom and dad were a Christian. That's kind of the way that you grew up, right? This is, this is the place where you just say, I, I am absolutely committing my life to a person, a relationship. What you call yourself doesn't actually define who you are. Just because I stand up here on a Sunday morning in the middle of a comedy club and I tell you I'm a duck and I start quacking doesn't actually make me a duck. It makes me a quacking weirdo. You'd be like, that guy's weird. We got to leave. We got to find a new church. You know, why are Pradeep and Amritha bringing him in? Don't worry, I'll be gone next week. You can send them your emails. And... <laughs> Calling yourself a Christian doesn't actually make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is if you've been transformed from your old life into a new life. The Bible calls it being born again, right? I was dead in my sins and my transgression, and then Jesus came into my world, and I have been created anew. I'm a new species. I'm completely and totally different than I was before. Now the life of Jesus is on the inside of me. Now there's a relationship between me and the creator of the world. It's completely and utterly different than the life that I had before. And if you haven't had that kind of an experience, if there's never been that moment for you, come on, I'm telling you, you are in the right place because that's what Kalos Church is all about. It's all about helping you understand and know, participate in and receive the beauty of Jesus. It's the kind of relationship where Jesus isn't just a part of our lives, but he's at the center of our life. You know what I mean? I love this verse, Psalms chapter 63. It says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Oh, God, I'm so thirsty for you. I'm so hungry for you, God. I am longing for you, not when it's convenient or not when it's the time of my day that I have the habit of doing it, but there's something inside of me that just longs for you. we got to long for God with our whole heart instead of the other things that we long for. You know the other things like, oh, popularity, I long for you. I long to be seen and revered by my peers and lifted up on a pedestal so people will think I'm so awesome. Oh, championship of the fourth grade soccer league. I long 
for my children to have you, and so I'll sacrifice whatever it takes to make sure that they are successful. I long for how you make me feel. Oh, new car, I long for you and your leather seat with heat warmers that will warm my butt in the cold Seattle winter. I long for you. We gotta be careful what we long for. We gotta be careful what we desire, right? And it's funny, we can joke about it and talk about it, but it's, it's a little bit too real because all of us have hearts that start longing for things other than Jesus. So what I wanna do just with the few minutes we have left this morning is I just wanna talk about how do we keep Christ at the center? Our hearts do such a good job of longing for other things and we don't want to go down that road of legalistic Christianity. We don't want to go down that road of lukewarm Christianity. We want to receive the blessing of God, and the favor of God that comes through Christ-centered, right relationship, hunger and thirst for righteousness Christianity. So how do we do it? Let me just give you a few practicals, and then we're going to pray. You guys doing okay this morning? Number one, I want you to involve God in every area of your life. Involve God in every area of your life. Because listen, God doesn't want compartmentalized Christianity. God doesn't want to be involved in your sometimes. He wants to be involved in all your times. God wants to be involved in everything you do. I remember early on in my, my journey with Jesus, I just had this compartmentalized thought of, I'm connecting with God when I'm reading my Bible. I'm connecting with God during my little prayer time that I have early in the morning, and then I'm out to do me for the rest of the day, and like I'll leave God in the prayer closet, and then I'll head out to just live my life the way that I want to do. And I remember at some point realizing, no, God wants to go with me everywhere I go. Did you know that God wants to go with you to work? Did you know that God wants to go with you to the gym? He wants to play basketball with you too. Like the Holy Spirit has been given to you to be in communion with you all of the time, and my challenge to you would be to invite him to be a part of it. Like, do you ever show up to a party, and uh, you show up, and everyone receives you and talks to you, kind of like coming into Kalo's church on a Sunday morning, right? Like, you walk from the third floor, and you're out here, and you come into this room, and everyone's hanging out and eating some food and talking, and if, if you walk in, and people welcome you, and they're like, hey, good to see you, and they remember your name, you're like, oh, I'm welcome, and what happens? You start to share your story and open up about your life, but you ever walk into a party where no one really acknowledges you? It's kind of awkward, right? Like, you're trying to fit in with the crowd, and so you're walking in, and you're like, hey, guys, and they're like, mm -hmm, right? Uh, what, what starts to happen? Like, you get all insecure, and before you know it, you're kind of standing to the side, and what, what's happening? You're not talking. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit feels much the same way because he's a person. I wonder if we were to invite the Holy Spirit and acknowledge the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want you with me at the gym, and I want you with me at my workplace, and I want you with me in my marriage, and while I'm at school, and everything I'm doing, and if you spend time with him and acknowledge him, you know what will begin to happen? You'll start to hear from him more in your life. But if you compartmentalize your faith and you just stick him in this little corner of your world and this is, you know, my church part and this is where I'm leaving God and I'm going out for the rest of the week to do my thing, then guess what? Maybe he won't speak to you as much as you'd like him to. My challenge to you this morning, how do I live a life that's blessed? How do I hunger and thirst for God? Invite God into every area 
of your life. Here's the second one. Make church a non-negotiable. Now, I love teaching this as a guest speaker because it seems a little self-serving when you're the pastor to say this. So I'll just come from out of town and say this. Make this experience. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're already here, right? High five. You're here. Way to go. Make this gathering non-negotiable. This is who I am. I want to live a Christ-centered Christianity. And if I'm going to live a Christ-centered Christianity, then I'm going to make the worship of my God a priority in my life. It's non-negotiable. If he's God, I'm going to block out an hour of my life a week, right? I'm going to take the 167 other hours and live those however the Lord leads me to live, but there's going to be one hour. I'm blocking it out. It's the worship of my God. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a priority. It's not going to be just a convenience. Well, if the weather is rainy as usual, then I'll come to Kalos. Well, if there's like nothing else to do, well, if there's no friends in town or if everything works out perfect, you know, like, no, I'm I am committed to the worship and the love of Jesus, so I am going to make sure I'm in the house of God. If, if I were to boil down the essential habits of Christianity into just a couple that are so essential, I would just tell you, read your Bible and make sure you gather with other believers to worship Jesus. We got to come together and lift up his name and be inspired by each other and give our lives to him. It's devotion. Why? Because we're not just cultural Christians. We are living a Christ-centered life. My life doesn't have Jesus as just one of the things that are a part of it. You know, I got my job, and I got my marriage, and I got my kids, and I got my hobbies, and I love the Seahawks, and I love my Jesus, right? Now, that's not what he wants. Jesus desires to be at the center of your life. Jesus at the center, and the rest of my life revolves around him. And listen, if that's the case, I would just challenge you a little bit. That if that's the case, then you got to make church a central habit of your life. This is who we are. This is how it is for my family. We are Schultzes, and we go to church. Jesus went to church every single weekend. I'm going to church every single weekend. The apostles went to church all the time, every single weekend. It's good enough for me. The church throughout every generation of history has gathered together, so I'm going to continue gathering together. We're going to do it. This is who we are. Even when we're on vacation, I'm a pastor, and when I go on vacation, I kind of like to just relax, and I've been to a lot of church in my life as a pastor, you know what I'm saying? And when I get out to church, you know what happens? My kids wake up early on a Sunday morning, like, Dad, where are we going to church? I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, yeah. Like, we researched it online. The best church in town is this church. We're going. Come on, Dad, get in the car. Like, okay, why? Because I instilled in them from the earliest ages, this is who we are, we're Schultz's, our life is centered around Jesus, and so we're going to make his worship a priority in our life. We're going to make sure and elevate it to that place in our world. Why? I hunger for him, I thirst for him, and as much as I can connect with him in all kinds of nooks and crannies, and as much as I can invite him into every area of my life, there is a dynamic that only takes place when the saints gather together. There's stuff that can happen here on a Sunday morning that can't happen any other hour of the rest of your week. It's significant. It's special. 
And so I would invite you and challenge you. Make sure you make the most of it. Make it a non-negotiable. Last one. Move anything else that's at the center. How do I make sure that I live Christ-centered Christianity? Then you just got to move anything else that's at the center of your life. And maybe for you it's, it's money and the pursuit of wealth and comfort and security. And maybe that just needs to move to the side so Jesus can have his center place. Maybe for you it's popularity and being liked. Maybe it just needs to move to the side so Jesus can be at the center. Maybe it's control or fame. Maybe it's your comfort and ease and security and beauty. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this, that all of our hearts tend to long for other things to get into the center. And listen, Jesus is the only one that belongs in the center. That's who he is. Jesus belongs at the center of every life. Jesus belongs at the center of every heart. Jesus is the God who split time in two because he belongs at the center. It's who he is, right? We have B.C. and A.D., and it all points to Jesus because he belongs at the center. When they crucified him, he ended up being crucified with a thief on his right and a thief on his left. He was at the middle, right? He's the, the picture, right? He's the one who reconciled God and man. He's at the center reconciling heaven and earth because he belongs at the center. It's who he is. And my question for you today, just as a friend in from out of town, is to just take a moment and ask ourselves the question, is Jesus really at the center of our hearts? It's where he belongs. But right now, is there anything else there that's kind of crowding him out? And I know this thought might be a little bit challenging to listen to, but whatever is at the center of your life, it is God for you. Whatever is at the center of your life, it has your worship, it has your devotion, it has your pursuit. And so even though we joke about it and we laugh about it, is there anything else that the true soul cry coming out of you is, I long for that. Something on your phone. Something in a playlist. A relationship that you can't even imagine living life without. Listen, those things may be good. Maybe they're not sinful. Maybe God wants them to be a part of your life. But I'm just telling you, if he's not at the center, those things are in the wrong place. What I want to do today, just as we wrap up, is I just want to give you just a few seconds to reflect on that idea. So will you do this with me? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just ask yourself the question right here. As the piano plays, makes it feel super spiritual. God, is there anything else at the center of my life? Is there anything I'm longing for and I'm pursuing before you?
And maybe you're here today, and even as I'm talking, maybe you're newer to Christianity, maybe you're newer to church, maybe you're newer to Kalos here, maybe you've had other church experiences, but you've kind of walked through a season of dryness, or maybe you've been a little hurt in church. Maybe you've walked through a season where you just feel distant from God, and it just feels like there's a gap. You don't want it to be that way. That's why you're here. You came to church because you want to be close to God. But if you're honest, just between you and him, no one looking around, maybe you'd say, yep, Pastor Danny, that's me. I just, I feel like there's a distance, there's a gap. There's, there's something there. And maybe you know what it is. Maybe you don't know what it is, but you want it to be gone. You want to be close to Jesus. Or maybe as I'm talking this morning, you would say, yeah, no, there's something that's taken Jesus' place. And I want to live out Christ-centered Christianity, but I, I'm, I've got something in the way. And whether you've been close to God in the past and you want to be close to Him again, or maybe for you, this is the first time you really wanted to be close to God. You wanted Jesus in your life. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, yeah, I want that in my life. I want Jesus to be at the very center of who I am and of what I live for. If that's you, whether you've made that decision or the past, or this is the first time, with nobody looking around, I'm just going to ask you to do something bold. I ask you to lift your hand when I count to three, and I promise I won't call you out or embarrass you or do anything weird. I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer, and I would love to include you in that prayer. So if that's you, I need Jesus at the center, either for the first time or for the first time in a long time. If that's you, you just lift your hand. One, two, three. Let's just lift our hands. Amen, amen, amen. Yep. God bless you. So good. God loves it when we respond to him. It's awesome. Hey, we're going to put this prayer up on the screen. And we're going to pray it all together. And if you lifted your hand, man, just mean this with everything inside of you. God wants to do a miracle in your heart, in your life. Let's just pray this all together. Come on, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Hey, can we just celebrate with those that made that decision today? Come on, we're so proud of you.